I love microdosing. I love microdosing. Yesterday, I needed to go practice my drums and I popped a little microdose gummy and I'll tell you what happened. I drummed for about a good two hours. That's fabulous. Yeah. I was looking at our new roof, hoping that it wasn't going to leak and I got some anxiety about it. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to take a gummy just to calm down so I can go to sleep and not worry about this. And I did and I had a great night's sleep and I woke up and there was no leak. I've noticed a change in you for the, a positive change. I like to hear that. Yeah. I feel like your mood is like very centered. I'm sleeping much better. Microdose gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just that right amount of good. And you can get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com promo code pants. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com promo code pants for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com promo code pants. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Pants. Hi. Reese. <laughs> Hi. You're like, that's a hard start. We... We have been so excited to have you on this podcast for so long. And not only us, but I think a lot of people. Everyone who, all my friends are definitely excited for me to be on the podcast. One of the reasons we wanted to have you have you on and we've been talking about this is you're a brilliant writer. And we would always say, I, I, I would say actually every week when the new episode would air, I would think, oh, Reese's recaps are at least coming out on a Friday. And the reason why it was so entertaining for us is because... Not only are you do you have incredible wit, but you say the quiet parts out loud. I've, I've said this before, and you were saying things that maybe we couldn't say out loud, but you could see us. And it's like you could feel us in a way. And it was like, oh, there's a kinship here, although we hadn't met. And I feel like I know you through your writing in a way and your sensibility, which we both greatly appreciate and enjoy. And it's just so lovely to have you here today. Well, that was a really lovely batch of compliments that I really appreciate. <laughs> All facts. Yeah, that's so awesome. I have a question about, do you know that you're speaking for the audience? Sometimes I feel like I'm speaking for the audience. Sometimes I feel like there's something I notice that maybe I figured out how to articulate in a way that I think will resonate with people, even if they haven't thought of it yet. But yeah, I mean, I think I have such a such a really impressive wealth of knowledge about the L word, which is a very valuable commodity in this in this world. <laughs> First of all, I, I have a question about how we met because I have a I think I have a story in my head that didn't happen, but for some reason it's just been my reality. But you started Autostraddle, right? Did you start yourself? Did you have partners? On your Wikipedia, it says your ex. Yeah, Wikipedia is right. I did start it with my ex, as lesbians do. I had... So I had a personal blog that I started in like 2006-ish, which was when blogs were a big deal. It was like the personal the personal blogging boom of the mid-aughts. And I had like a pretty good following from that. And then I was looking at... I would read these America's Next Top Model recaps on that this writer, Rich... I don't know how to pronounce his last name, did. And they were so funny. And I just started watching the L word and I was like, I think I could like, I think I could recap the L word and like, I would be good at it. And that would be good for, for my career. Right. 
I love a career uh-huh. launch. That's great. Yeah. So I started like a spinoff blog of my personal blog where I was recapping the L word. I started recapping the L word in season four, which was an interesting time to start doing that. And then that's like an odd year. It was like there were, I don't know, 75 new cast members that year that all like cycled in and out. You know, it was it was wild. <laughs> but anyway. True. <laughs> and so and so those were getting popular. They were picked up by the L word online, which was like this massive fan site, I guess. That's the one. I remember that one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I started writing for rchart.com. You did? You did? What did you do for our chart? Personal essays. It, because our chart lasted for about five minutes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, two years, maybe. I mean, I would say there was a period of time where it still existed technically, but perhaps was... Dead to everybody else. <laughs> uh-huh. Was perhaps in decline. We don't even know the demise of our chart, although we were yeah. partners or something in it. I am like dying to know. That's one. Of, it was one of life's great mysteries to me. Is what the fuck happened with our chart? We had dinner with Eileen last week. We could have asked her about that. And we completely forgot. That's a mystery that never has been solved. Leash. You launched Autostraddle. Was this in two thousand and nine? Now was that website after Ellen still around? <laughs> it was. Yeah, that was like our main competitor. Right. Was was after Ellen. So I had built up this fan base. The L word was ending two thousand nine. And I was like, how can we... I'd always wanted to like run my own magazine. So I was like, I'm going to... Because that's easy. Yeah, because that's pretty easy. And also really easy. It's a really easy way to make big money really fast. And I love passive income. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the day that the L word ended, we launched Autostraddle proper, like the, the Autostraddle that exists now. And it was just like me and my friends sitting on my bed in Harlem, basically. And yeah, my ex was the designer and our, our, the, our co-founder. And we did that together. And we just sort of built it up. We just kind of built it up from there. Who knew how to code or like start a website? I had made a ton of friends from my blog. And one of them, Tess, who was also, she's on our founding team. She taught herself to code and then built it. I mean, the the site broke all the time. It did. Like all the time. We, we would sometimes crash for multiple <laughs> days in a row. It was all, it was like this little box of cardboard that we were all just putting together. But after Ellen was like mostly focused on pop culture, right? And like... I felt like there was a void for lesbian magazine that covered like the same breadth of topics that a normal women's magazine did, you know, where we had like sex and dating and pop culture and politics and personal essays and identity and all that kind of shit. And also that was like fun and kind of hot. Now we're old, but at the time, like a little bit younger than after Ellen. We always say that Eileen is ahead of so many trends and you don't realize it until years and years later. Like the chart came out before Facebook. And everyone thought she was like the idea was kind of kooky. And then Facebook got really popular maybe a year or a year and a half later. And suddenly it all made sense. But our chart was so small, it was never going to branch out. Right. It was niche. I mean, that's always the prison the- show. Orange is the new black. Yeah. Another thing like cultural phenomenon. You've, you all have your finger on the pulse. You all know what's going on. How many staff members do you have? We have seven full-time staff and then we have like a team of 20, 30 freelancers or so that we like have in our Slack. And then, you know, we have like a, a wide network of people that, that contribute to the site in various ways. But we have like seven full-time people. Are you so proud of yourself? I am. Yeah. That's an incredible feat. Yeah. I mean, when we launched it, we didn't know if it was going to work or not, but it was like the economy had just crashed. We were like, I was like, let's just give this a shot. Like, and if it fails, at least I'll know that this dream was just a dream. And then I can go teach high school English or something instead. And it it worked, actually. 
and became really popular. Do you have an office? Nope. Do you work from home? I do. Yeah, I work right over there. Really? So everyone just communicates on text and email and phone calls and Zoom? Do you wish you had an office? Yes. And why? (laughs) I don't know that we'd want to be in the office every single day. You want the option. Right. We'd like the option. Whenever we are in the room, things just go so much fucking faster. Yeah. You want the collective energy. And also, don't you want to break from your house? Well, I do love to stay at home and not do anything, but... Yeah. But don't you appreciate it more when you're out of your house and yes, you come home? And- I do. Then I then I think because when I'm out, I'm like, wow, I really love my house, you know. <laughs> but but yeah. No, I do. I wish we had we have now now people feel like it's normal, right? Because of the pandemic, people are now used to remote teams they've never met and stuff. But for a while I was like, how is it felt like we were the only ones who were doing it? I know we weren't, but it felt like every other publication had a leg up on us because they actually had an office where they could communicate with each other and know what the other person's doing. I was just going to ask you that. But if you did this before Zoom and before the pandemic, how were you talking? We did most we did most of our like talking on just typing or we would have like group phone calls. We didn't do a lot of video calls. I respect the organization. That's major. Linnea, who's our operations manager, is very good at organizing everything. And she's been with us from the start. And she actually, she she used to run the social network that was around a, a podcast for, called The Planet Podcast from the original L Word. You know so much more than we do about just the culture of the L Word. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. Let me ask you this, Reese. So you watched the original, you have this encyclopedic memory for it, but you, I know you watched the the new iteration, Generation Q. We're here. What I want to ask you is, is there anything, since we all three of us seem to be like-minded, is there anything we can answer for you that maybe you wondered, do they agree with this? Or did they also know this? Or did they wonder about this as well? I mean, I feel like that question applies to so much of what happened in this, in Generation Q. Like, well, what's been a burning question, the whole, uh, even the original, like, do you have any, I don't know, questions that you've wondered the entire time or? Continuity wise, character wise. Did you, like, did you hope that they would unkill Jenny? We, yeah, we never thought, first of all, nobody planned on her ever dying in the finale. That was, you know, a lead up to the farm. So Eileen, I think, knew, would you say at the beginning of the season, Kate, that the entire Eileen and the writers knew and they played coy with us the entire sixth season. And we had a short season that year. They only gave us like seven or eight, yes, episodes. eight episodes. Was it eight? Yes, we were. It was short and they wouldn't tell us until the end, basically. And that's but all the clues were there. Like the moment we saw Lucy Lawless playing a detective, we were like, OK, what the fuck's going on? Well, the mur- yeah, the murder mystery part of it was the twist. But you don't know until you know. You always kind of are holding out hope, thinking, oh, maybe this is just a, a ruse. And it wasn't. Yeah. So we didn't know Jenny was going to go that way until the very, very end. And yeah, we didn't want her to die. I think initially it was easiest because it was the most clean, maybe. But Jenny is more appreciated now than she was back then. She's having sort of this retroactive acknowledgement, which I'm happy to see. We're big Jenny fans actually and I'll get back to what you asked me but one of the best days in my of my life on this planet was for April Fool's Day I think in 2017 
we turned auto straddle into shiny straddle and had published <laughs> six articles, Shenny. six articles about Shane and Jenny's relationship, fanfic, a playlist, an, an uh, analysis of a fan of a Shane and Jenny fan video. We changed the clicker on the site to be Shane and Jenny kissing. Did you all disagree with with the relationship like everyone else? That is what is so weird. I think there are maybe 25 Shenny fans in the world that were like go that were like go and team. all of them work at Autostraddle. Like <laughs> I think and I do think there's something very specific. Even like our art director was oh, huge. Like she did a whole post that was just live journal icons she had created as a teen as a teenager about Shane and Jenny. Like just analyzing her own live journal images. If the show didn't end in a murder and eight episodes, I think that would have been an interesting relationship. It was just under the backdrop of all the wrong shit. Right. And they did and and I think there was a lot of really good build up to it in terms of what they could those two characters had like were able to learn from each other and and like grow in a way from each other. You know? Completely agree. Hundred percent. And so it has so much potential. I mean, the best friends to lovers thing is always compelling, right? But I think that that one specifically. And there's enough lead up to it. Yeah, there was so much lead up. Like, like, like Dana and Alice. Like, when there's a good lead up from friends to lovers, I'm all in. But when it just happens, no. But like, mm. when you get that history built, you have to. Or who cares? Yeah, totally. Who get? Who cares? What did they learn from each other in the eyes of Autostraddle? I think. Shane felt comfortable being vulnerable with Jenny in a way that she wasn't with always comfortable with everybody else. I think some of it is like they were both very deeply traumatized in some ways from their lives. You know what I mean? And so I think they connected in a way that was maybe not always healthy. Right. But that's, I mean, again, that's lesbians. And I think that, yeah, I think Shane was uniquely comfortable, like being herself around Jenny and knew that Jenny like loved her whole self and didn't feel the same sort of, I mean, this is my projections, right? The same sort of like da- damaged, damaged or like insufficient way that she felt with other people. Like, like Jenny just really liked her for who she was, which is why it was especially frustrating that the one that relationship played out, they had Jenny trying to control Shane. And exactly. Some of these scenes I feel like were written on like a napkin on a lunch break or something like where Jenny's like going through Shane's closet and asking her to get rid of clothes. The reminder of Carmen, it was just like, what's what the fuck is going on here? Yeah, that doesn't track. Yeah, I, I think we could all agree that Shane is Polly, although that was never explored. I don't know. You don't know? I don't know. I don't know if she is. Mm-mm. I'm not convinced. Also, you know what? I shouldn't say that. It was never really explored in a realistic. Let's really dig into this in, a, in, in an honest way for me to have an opinion. It, it felt more like like a convenience, like, oh, that makes sense. Just give her that label and then suddenly it all comes together, which is maybe why it doesn't track for me. I, it felt like Jenny would be more accepting of Shane sometimes fucking up, I think, than other people would, like, because she wouldn't see it as a betrayal of her in the same way that other people did, you know? I don't know. I think there was like a lot of tenderness and understanding there. It's definitely one of those relationships, though, that is, it would be super intense from the start. You know what I mean? It couldn't be just like this is a casual thing because they just knew each other so well. So, yeah, I, I was really rooting for them and I was devastated. Thanks, Reese. I was, too. I like I, 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 I know they weren't a fan favorite, but I think also I was I had biasness because I loved working with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You guys had great chemistry, I think. If she's amazing. She's in it. She's like one of the best scene partners you could ever ask for. Wouldn't you say, Leash? Like an amazing actress, also. Just you just have to be on your toes constantly. It makes it fun, and everything's different. Otherwise, you look like a chump. Right. Otherwise, you're just standing there 
And she's acting circles around you. Running circles <laughs> around you, <laughs> which yeah. is fun. No, she's like my the best scene part. I mean, I definitely am curious if there was stuff you guys were specifically frustrated about that happened in the reboot that you weren't expecting. Is that like literally everything? <laughs> That's like it. <laughs> Here we go. I, like, were there people, other cast that you hoped would be able to come back? Because I think what's funny is I know that like that's what that's what, of course, everyone wants in a reboot, right? They want all their faves to come back. That's like a typical fan thing. But then there's also the very realistic thing that for lesbians in L.A., like you would run into these people. I remember story points as well that would that uh, uh, the, the, the Shane wife thing. I, I, I honestly, looking back, I think that was the wrong choice. I think that was the wrong choice to have her come in with a wife because then she no longer... She doesn't have something to strive for because she's already had that. So, and because the wife, Kiara, Lex Scott Davis, who was lovely, came in in episode four, there was all this mythology built around her. And I, and I always thought, all right, well, we live in LA. Like, what's an LA thing? Oh, you see the ghosts of your exes on billboards and, 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 and magazines because that's LA and everyone somehow works in entertainment. And I always envisioned we were going to like build up on that mythology of Kiara of like seeing her billboard on on Sunset or coming across on a magazine. And and it, there was none of that. So when she landed, I was like, all right, well, it doesn't have as big of a punch, not because of Lex, but because of the lack of buildup. And then the moment we meet her, she drops the bomb that she's pregnant. And I'm like, so now we don't even know her. Now it's just the problem of she's pregnant. And it's like, it, it takes away any sort of anything. And I thought, well, a better thing would have been for the finale, to, for the cliffhanger to say she's pregnant. So you spend the rest of that season getting to know her and being like, oh, right. That's why these two make sense. You didn't get the sense that a relationship had been developing in the background between the first time you saw two people in a scene and the next time you saw them in the scene. Like, you you know, you didn't, you didn't really, they didn't even really reference as much. And I think the original series did this a lot better you didn't really get the sense that their relationship had been lived in outside of the scenes that we were witnessing at that moment. Does that make sense? Like they, yeah, they froze in time. And then when it comes back, they start up. Yeah, there's no, no passing of time. Right. Well, I mean, the time thing, I, I did this really. <laughs> no, we saw that one. Yeah. That yeah. My one. analysis of the time. <laughs> it was amazing. Maybe one of your best. It was amazing. Yeah. No, it was incredible. It drove me bananas. Tess and Sherry were dating for 12 hours. <laughs> it's so true. 12 hours. Yeah. The, I mean, the timeline, like, did you, when you got these scripts, were you like, I'm going to operate as though I'm part of this timeline? You know what I mean? You like, had no, you had no choice. Yes. You have to, the thing with this show, especially the reboot is you just had to lean into the reality of your situation. I think I had this small fantasy of, of like this kind of Grace and Frankie thing with Alice and Shane where they have a, like where they could maybe like live next to each other, you know, and have and be best friends and have this sort of like codependent best friendship, which I think also at times when, when they're both single, I think is really realistic, you know, when, you know, when you're figuring out, you're like, I'm in my forties or my fifties, like I'm in my early forties, like, what does it look like to be a queer adult? Like our friends are having kids or getting married. Like what is, what, like, what does that look like for us? And like, I think they touched on that a little bit, but but never really went all the way in. You know what I mean? And I would have loved more like of that. Do you know what I mean? One of the most exciting ideas for, I would say, the three of us going into this reboot was to tell those stories about being women in our age and age bracket and what that means with friendships and 
how you navigate, you know, each other's relationships and what role you play in each other's lives. And to us, that was so rich and exciting to be able to explore. Well, we always would say the problem was at the origin of it because you have these two different worlds and there's no intermingling. And the only common thread, which is very, very thin, was Sophie and Alice. But that was it. Like intergenerational friendships in the queer community are incredibly common. And important to talk about. That was the other thing that we were really excited about telling was the difference in these generations and how we see life in our in our vocabulary and identification. We were so excited and to not just comment on it, but to also laugh at it. Right. Because we're now the older generation that are like, wait, what's what's what? What's this? And there's a humor in that. You have to be able to laugh at yourselves. Right. To like sometimes make a point. But we couldn't do it. And we were like, that's such a missed opportunity because it happens all the time. Like, I don't see how those friend groups couldn't have been integrated. Even in the original series, you did get the feeling, I don't remember what they said Bet's age was, but you did get the feeling that like, for example, Shane was significantly younger than Bet, you know, like maybe even 10 years younger. And it was like, but they were all there together, especially because of the queer community, people come out at different times in their lives. So sometimes people... Whether that means that they are just coming in, they're hanging out with a bunch of 25 year old lesbians because they just realized they were gay at 50 and this is who they know, but or the other way around. But like people come into like their queer adulthood at different times. So it felt like there's an opportunity here for everybody to be friends. And it, it, Alice and Sophie got the closest to that. We're going to take a break. We'll be back in a minute. Let's say, okay, Reese, you're the new showrunner. Right. We're going to give you the IP of the L word and you're given this responsibility. Do you do you go back in time and continue from the original show and pretend Gen Q didn't happen? Do you continue from Gen Q or do you start completely over? Technically, you can't like start a show that is covering the same timeline with the same people (laughs) that you already did. Right. Because I think I think that the basic concept of Gen Q of that being where people were in their lives and how they came together was not bad necessarily, you know, as a timeline to revisit. But I think, and then it's difficult to imagine if I could do anything going forward, because going forward from where Gen Q ended, I would have to accept everything that happened in Gen Q. And that none of that made very much sense. But you can also wipe the slate clean. And I include, I include us, like you, you can carry on the legacy of the show minus anyone you've ever known I the thing is I think like I think there's something powerful and also in a in a meta way like having you guys on there as the as like the lesbians who've been around for a while and had been in that scene and had been in that culture for a while interacting with people and building relationships with people who are a little bit younger a little bit new to it or not even necessarily younger but new to the scene from different angles you know, like I liked, I liked that. Like, I think having the three of you there was good. I would have liked to see more of the original cast in it. Who else in the original cast would you have liked to have? I would have liked to see Tasha come back maybe like six episodes earlier. You know, I think, I think there's something, they had a really volatile relationship. Obviously they're very different people, but I think that there is, and maybe I'm just projecting my own relationships onto this and having been the one who was like, I'm in pop culture and I'm like, you know, doing stuff on the internet and then having a girlfriend who's like, I don't own a television, you know, 
Like where at the time when we first dated, it was like there was, I was so in my own head that I didn't, I think I like, I learned a lot from her, but not as much as I could have, you know, but she balanced me out in a certain way. And I think like, and now we're really close friends as adults. And I think that like, it would have been really interesting to see Tasha and Alice try to rebuild a relationship as grownups. And I also think that some of the stuff, like the first season really didn't really want to address race and the, and the Generation Q didn't, like sometimes touched on it, but never really got deep into it. And I think like with the right writers, those conversations between Tasha and Alice could have been really like revelatory and and also like very relevant and present to like what people are talking about these days. And I think they had a lot to learn from each other. And maybe it wouldn't have worked out again, you know, but I think, but I also think maybe it could have, but also just, I mean, Tasha is such a delight. But also really interesting to watch. It seemed to have worked out. Yeah, it's really interesting to watch. Like when she came back, it absolved so many sins that we had been experiencing. And even though there are, there is no world in which one would try to open the door to a walk-in freezer by calling the fire department. Like, what? I, I allowed it so that Tasha could come back. But I think that I would have liked to see her come back a lot earlier. I, I would be curious about Molly that's a relationship I've forgotten about until we rewatch it. <laughs> well, no, that I don't remember. Yeah, that's a that's a blur. It actually was a cute relationship. I like their dynamic. I thought it was. I liked her precociousness. I love Clementine. Yeah, Clementine's great. And where are you on the Carmen debate? I think she could have done a twenty three and me. Right. <laughs> I think like when the show was announced originally, Jen Q was announced. I wrote a script that I no longer have anymore, but I had. I because I was like, I'm going to send a script and somehow get into this writer's room. So I started writing a script and it it began with like a Christmas special, basically. So it was like the classic thing where the, these estranged friends are coming back together for some, I don't remember what the reason was, but they're all reuniting. And like that is like the catalyst for like where the season goes from there. Like the big chill. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why, what happened to this script of yours? <laughs> we could have used you. I don't know. Did you submit it? I mean, I have no, like I have actually literally no TV writing experience besides that I wrote screenplays in high school. You know what I mean? All right, let's go back to Autostraddle. Okay. So what are your plans with your site? Are you expanding in any ways that, do you want to tell anyone about or by the way, it's an amazing site. Thank you. It really is. Like, I think you've cornered this, this world that way. It, it's a, it's a place we can go and just find out what are people doing? What's the, like, it's, <laughs> it is, it's cutting edge. It's a great resource. Thank you. It is. I don't, I'm not sure what's, what's next for Autostraddle at this moment. You're not going anywhere though, right? You're going to, hopefully you're gonna not. Keep yeah. Keep on keeping on. It's a tough financial junction at this point, but we're, we're trying to figure it out. And, and how are donations? Cause I know that you guys have donations out there. How is that going? Yeah, we, we have like, we have a membership program. We have like 7,500 members and they all pay between like five and $50 a month for their membership. And so that's our most steady revenue stream. And then we sell merch and yeah, we've had fundraisers. Like we had one two months ago and raised like 200 $200,000. And then that's good, right? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's real money. But yeah, so a lot of our repeat clients were for shows that have been canceled. So we're having to build some new relationships. And a lot of TV film budgets are marketing budgets are pretty tight. That's just getting tighter with the writer's strike. And a lot of our other clients also have tighter budgets for the year. So it's a lot of it's a lot of like legwork to get to get new 
new clients on board. And we used to do these camp events, but stopped during the pandemic. And we need to get that back going again. Well, I, I mean, that's important to tell everybody then, you know, like it's it's about supporting your site if you want it, want it to exist. Yeah, everyone should join autostraddle.com's A-plus membership program. It's the best membership program in the world. <laughs> everyone who joins <laughs> it is immediately so happy and so refreshed. I'm going to join the membership program. Me too. Uh, people find it really invigorating, really like life-sustaining. Yeah. It is true though. Like it, you know, it's like public radio sometimes. You're, you you forget that you just think it's there and you're so happy it's there, but you're like, oh, you have to support. We have an amazing community and I love them so much and they love us so much and they're really supportive. And some of them have been with me since like my, when I was like blogging in 2006 and just like writing my little L word recaps with my friends on the couch, you know, posting pictures of Shane. <laughs> Back during my pinup days. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Good 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. It was a, it was a really beautiful time. Like, yeah, it was. It was the, the aughts, the memory of the aughts. So yeah, we're, I mean, so we're looking to get back into doing events again. And I think just trying to figure out like a sustainable path forward and what is turning out to be like a pretty difficult media climate, you know? What's great about our community is that everyone really bands together. Yes. And not like the outcome is always what we want, but still there's a, there's a, a unification. Yeah, absolutely. There. It's like a very, they're very empathetic and they're very supportive and and understand the importance of like supporting queer spaces and queer media. That's what it is. I mean, when we get something so important, like your site or or television shows that have, you know, queer content, it's, we have to rally around to keep it there because we know how quickly it gets <laughs> taken away, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Reese, we could talk to you for hours. Yes, I would love. I, I've had such a good time. <laughs> you are just like, you're so fun to talk to and you get it. And it's just like talking to an old friend. That's so lovely. I've had a really nice, I really had a really nice time. And thanks for reading my recaps. I had no idea. We'll miss them. I miss them. Can you do write the recaps of the original series? I could. I could go back and do, do that from season one. Could do that with my life. I wonder if there's a different way you can do all of it so we can just keep hearing your voice. <laughs> I miss it. I miss like that was really like the highlight of my week at some points was a Friday reading the recaps. That's so nice. I had no idea you guys read them. I knew some of like the younger cast members Loved. read them, but I didn't know until you talked about it on the podcast, which by the way, I was like in the throes of COVID. I was doing the thing where you're like, where, oh. where you're sitting, you're taking a shower, but you're sitting in the bathtub, you know? Right. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I saw that. And I thought, oh, I'm so glad you heard us. Yeah. And ever said, everyone was like texting me and was like, it's like, they're talking about you on pants. And I was like, what? <laughs> I crawled out I'm of dying. like a swamp monster. We would have tears coming down our eyes and we would screenshot like snippets and send it to each other and be like, this is iconic. <laughs> That's so wonderful. Like, thank God someone else saw it. <laughs> yeah, truly. It never went unnoticed. So thank we you so much. We hope we see you around LA, which is weird. We don't. Yeah. Ever. That's strange. Maybe we don't leave the house enough. That's what, okay. Maybe all three of us, that's the problem. Yeah. All three of us should make an effort. Here we are. We're house. like talking about how like, well, you know, people in LA, you see them. Meanwhile, it's been 20 years. Meanwhile. I've never seen you in around Los Angeles. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we met, hopefully we've broken the barrier and we'll see each other again. Okay. Thank you, Reese. Thanks for everything you do. <laughs> thank you guys for everything you do. Thank you for listening to Pants, a podcast brought to you by myself, Kate Menig, and Leisha Haley, produced by Melissa D. Montz. 
Please listen and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can follow Pants on Instagram at The Pants Pod. Theme song by Carolina Para of the band CSS and graphics are by Love Fox. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.